Jesus, we just commit this morning to you, God. We give you our lives this morning, Jesus. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be uh, evident in this church. Lord, I pray that you would speak this morning, that our hearts and our minds be open to receive what you have to say. I just thank you for um, your grace and your love for this church. And I pray that you continue to bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like I said, if you guys are, can I just say, that was awesome. That felt so good. It was so nice to just hear some of you, the, just the, the, the prayer. Uh, wow, it's so good. I, I, I love it. I love it. Um, like I said, we're, we're trying to be a, a, a bigger praying church. We want to be known as a church that, that changes lives through our prayer. Um, so if you're new here, thank you for coming. Um, if you've been coming for a long time, thank you for your commitment and your faithfulness to this church. It, it really means so much to us. Um, oh, no. iPad is sliding. All right. It's just going to stay there. Stay. All right. So while we're preparing this week's message, um, I found myself doing some research on a topic of what makes a person a good friend or what are some qualities of a good friend. And then after doing some research and looking at all kinds of Google suggestions, uh, I came up with a list of about 10 qualities of a good friend. Number one, a good friend is loyal. Good friends uh, will stay when others have left. You got that slide, Rachel? <laughs> That's all good. There's my list. Uh, good friends are, are honest. Good friends will let you know when they have been hurt by you. Um, and they'll also let you know if you're confusing them. Uh, they'll let you know if you're making bad decisions. Sometimes we all need that in our lives. Um, and they can also tell if you have been hiding something from them. Number three, good friends are protective. Good friends are protective of you, and they will go to bat for you when others are trying to tear you down. And if people are trying to speak falsely of you, they will correct those people. Um, sometimes we need people that are actually stand up for us and stand in our place. Good friends are trustworthy. They can always be trusted. Like, I don't think that there's anyone who actually likes being around a compulsive liar. Anybody like, oh yeah, they make great friends. No, we want to have people that we can trust. Um, because trust allows other people to get into this inner circle of our lives. Um, and, and often those are the places that we guard heavily from other people, but good friends are allowed into that place. Uh, number five, they listen. Good friends are great listeners. It, and it takes kind of this place of humility to sometimes keep our mouth shut uh, and just listen. Because a lot of times it's more important that we just listen than give this unsolicited advice that we would like to give. Uh, as much as that's important sometimes, sometimes it's more important to just listen. Number six, they are helpful. A good friend is helpful. They, have, they will always have your back, and it's not a big deal for them to take on your load when you're tired. And they're not going to do things for you begrudgingly, like, oh no, I have to help. Uh, they, they'll actually be happy to help, um, and they have no problem being there for you. 
Number seven, good friends are respectful. A good friend makes you feel comfortable with being yourself around them. Uh, maybe for some people it's being weird and goofy and there's only a few people that in your life that you allow to see that. Uh, everyone knows Chris back there is, he has lots of good friends because he has no problem being weird and goofy around us. Uh, but there's other people where it's um, that you allow someone into this place of your life where you let them see uh, your struggles, your internal struggles. You let them see your struggle with depression or anxiety and this good friend allows you to be yourself and doesn't expect your fake smile and to pretend like everything's okay. And they actually want to know how you're genuinely doing. Like, that's a big deal. Number nine, a good friend is happy for you. A good friend will be happy for you when something good happens in your life. Uh, often we'll find people that are jealous of one another when they have someone else has something that, that you don't. Um, but a good friend will have a genuine excitement and celebrate with their friend, regardless of their own life circumstances. Number 10, they forgive. A good friend will seek forgiveness for just about anything. Uh, they will try and understand why you've acted the way that you did if you hurt someone. Um, and they will also value your friendship beyond just one mistake, and they'll try to make amends quickly. So I want to ask you guys, are you a good friend? How about, are you a good friend to your spouse? Looking at those lists, are you a good friend to your spouse? Are you a good friend to the people here at Signal Church? As we look at this next section of the book of Philippians, um, which we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, if uh, you guys brought your Bibles and you want to get ahead of me and, and go there. Um, just prepare. But as we're looking at this next um, section of the book of Philippians, I want you to view this letter through the lens of a good friend. Because the book of Philippians was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. And what we see here is this letter is written slightly differently than some of the other letters that he had written to other churches. Um, and it's a little bit different because Paul had a personal connection with this church. Uh, this church was full of close friends to him, and he actually was a partner in building this church with these people. Uh, so he, he, was, he had these friends that he considered uh, good friends, and he was going to be a good friend. He was going to praise them where they needed to be praised, and he was also going to bring correction to them where they needed to be corrected. So Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippi while he is sitting in a Roman prison. Yet, his words are full of joy. And we'll see that he mentions joy numerous times in this book. Um, and his, his joy was based on his love for the church. It, it didn't matter that he was sitting in prison while this church that he had built was thriving. Because he had joy because he was watching what this church was doing. He was watching that they had joy and he was able to, to share in that. So it didn't matter that he was sitting in chains in this awful prison. And some of you are probably wondering, if you don't know much about Paul, why is he sitting in prison? If he was such a godly, church-planting man, why is he in prison? Well, Paul often found himself in a lot of trouble. <laughs> and he got in a lot of trouble because he was preaching the truth about Jesus. Uh, and then so he would be often beaten, 
uh, and then thrown in prison, and then eventually he'd be released, and then he would go back out and he would preach in Jesus' name again, and this cycle would just continue and continue and continue because he would not shut up and he would not stop talking about Jesus. Now today there are actually uh, many places in our world even, which sometimes we call the restricted nations. Uh, and it's no different there. There are, there are Christians all around the world that will either be tortured or put in prison or even killed for preaching about Jesus. And I absolutely love our country. I am so glad that we live where we do. It's amazing. But I do have to say that we are not immune from this either. It can happen here. And if I'm going to be totally honest, uh, I see that it will happen at some point, maybe even in our lifetimes, that we will be considered a restricted nation. But that doesn't stop the gospel. That doesn't stop the church. The coronavirus, if I can say that without being muted on YouTube. <laughs> I was last time. Uh, Rona <laughs> can't stop the church. Um, so let's pick up at Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 3 through 11. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time that you have heard it until now. And I am certain that God who began a good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me a special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in my defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Christ Jesus, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. So right out of the gate, Paul makes this letter all kinds of personal. Just look at the way that he opens up in verse 3. He says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whose God is it? My God. <laughs> he's, he's your God too, I hope. Um, but what he's doing here is he's making a point to express this, this close, intimate relationship that he has with God. It's almost like if you went with your spouse to the store and you ran into an old friend uh, and you introduced, this is my wife, this is my husband. You're probably not going to say, you'd probably say it like that. You wouldn't say, eh, this is the spouse. <laughs> like maybe some of you would. But you're going to say, this is my husband, this is my wife. Um, because it's showing that you have this close bond, this deep connection between you and them. Um, and that's what Paul is doing here. He's showing that he is experiencing a deeper connection with God, even though he's chained up in this filthy Roman prison. See, because before Paul was a follower of Jesus, he was something called a Pharisee. And, and he was a man that was very obedient to the Old Testament Jewish law. He had a relationship with the law, but no relationship with God. He would have been something so... God, like God would have been something so distant to Paul. 
that was like, I can never have a relationship with him. So all he had was a relationship with this law that God had created. But then he encounters Jesus and he's radically transformed. And, and now he has a, an actual relationship with the God of the universe, not just the God of the law. And as he's sitting in this prison, he is learning to grow in that active relationship with Jesus. And he learns that this persecution that he's suffered has actually pushed him closer to following Jesus. And I want to ask you, have you ever been there? Have you ever experienced something hard in your life that has actually pushed you closer to Jesus? Or have you walked away? Have you, have you turned your back on him because, well, God's supposed to make my life easier? Maybe not. Maybe he is, maybe not. I, I was thinking about this yesterday, um, listening to a sermon from uh, a pastor that had brain cancer. Um, and he was about a year and a half into his recovery and getting all kinds of horrible diagnoses. And uh, he, he is now eight years cancer-free from a, a malignant cancer that everyone was telling him, this is going to kill you. Um, God healed him. But it wasn't immediate. It took years. And it took chemotherapy and all kinds of horrible things that was poisoning his body. But he still would go out and preach. He wasn't going to let this stop him. And it wasn't going to change his view of God. Because he believes God will heal immediately. He knows he can. And he was faced with this question, well, if God doesn't do it, is he still good? And I was thinking about that. I was thinking about my own life. And I'm like, man, there's times when things are really, really hard. And just because God doesn't take those things away immediately, or maybe ever, does that mean he's not good? And I think as powerful as it is for us to have an immediate healing, or as powerful as it is for our life circumstances, you know, whether it's relationships being restored or um, for those things to be done immediately, that's amazing. But I think in the times when God doesn't is when, this isn't even in my notes, <laughs> but it struck me yesterday that when God doesn't, it's our opportunity to show we love him. When he heals us, when he takes those things away immediately, sometimes that's a sign that he loves us. But sometimes it's a greater sign when he says, I'm not going to, and this is your time to show how much you love me. And then you're going to be blessed more than you can even imagine, whether you're healed, delivered, set free, or not. Uh, it's going to be good. All right, where am I? Um, oh. I'm at Signal Church. Thank you, Chris. I forgot for a moment. So uh, speaking of Signal Church, here at Signal Church, over the years, there have been many people who have built this church. About 26 years ago, 27 years ago, somewhere around there, uh, there were just a few people that began a Bible study in someone's house. And they watched it grow. And eventually, they outgrew the house. And they moved into the American Legion here in town. And and then eventually they outgrew that and they moved into this building where we are today. Now some of those people that um, founded this church are still with us today and others are not. There are people that have come and gone um, and there are people that have played some really big roles in building this church. 
And I just want to think, if they were to come and visit here any given Sunday, would they find a church that's fired up about Jesus? And, and would they find a church that is growing and one that they could be proud of? That they would look and, and say, I, I started this. I built this church. And look what it's doing. It's thriving. And it reminds me of, of what Jesus says in, in Luke 18, 8. He says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? So what are we doing with what he started? What are we doing with what Jesus started in our lives? What are we doing with what the founders of this church started 26, 27 years ago? See, I want us to be a church that, that will pick up that torch that our founders lit and, and that passed on to us, and I want us to run with it. So let's get back into the text a little bit. Let's look at verse 8. Paul talks about how much he loves the people of the church of Philippi and, and how he longed to see them. Now, I think it's important for us to note that this longing that Paul had, uh, it wasn't just like he was longing to catch up with some, from some friends. It was, it was more than that. Because there's a unique bond that Christians share uh, that's beyond just friendship. It's beyond just having a community. As, as great as those things are, uh, the fellowship of believers is something so much greater. It's supernatural. It's this, this praying group of people like we just experienced this morning. And it's beyond just Signal Church. Like all the churches in, that are preaching the gospel in our area are our brothers. They're our sisters, um, even around the world. And I think if you guys have ever been away from the church for any length of time, you'll, you'll understand what this longing for being with believers is like. And we've experienced it, uh, whether you realize it or not. We have experienced it through this Rona <laughs> shutdown. Um, church online is not the same. I'm so glad that we have live streaming. And thank you for tuning in this morning if you are watching online. Um, but it's not the same. We are called to be together. Um, while we can be together through live streaming, if that's what we need to do at this point, that's fine. But when we're not together, there is a longing for true believers that says, I have to be there. Uh, in my life, um, before I started coming here, I, I, was, I didn't walk away from the church, but I wasn't in the church for about a year and a half. I was trying to please other people and it was absolutely wrong. Uh, and I spent about a year and a half uh, without ever walking into a church. And, and uh, for about that year and a half, the only thing I had ever heard about the church or about Jesus was how much these people hated the church and hated Jesus. And it was killing me. And I decided one day, I've had enough. I'm going to go to church. And I walked in this place for the first Sunday, and I was an absolute wreck. My life was so hard at that point, and I didn't realize it was going to get even harder. Uh, but that first Sunday, it was like a breath of fresh air. It was like taking my mask off. <laughs> like, oh, it's so good to be in church. It's so good to actually hear the name of Jesus that's not being degraded. It's so nice to listen to people worship, and I'm like, man, I have missed this so bad for a year and a half. 
what was I thinking? Like, this, this was the wrong move. And it was such a relief. And I can only imagine that's what Paul was experiencing as he's sitting in prison. And he is longing to be with his church. Um, but again, he wasn't jealous because he knew that God had put him in that prison, honestly, because he was, he was preaching the good news and, and the people weren't going to have it. So he wasn't jealous of the fact that there were others that could gather. He was happy that they could be together because it was, it was actually his choice that landed him in prison because he valued preaching the good news of Jesus over even his own life. And so finally, in, in the, the last three verses of this passage, uh, Paul prays for this church. And he's pr- again, he's praying from the depths of this disgusting Roman prison. And he prays that they would grow in love and that their love would overflow more and more. Another way that we could define this word love, uh, we could translate it like the word unity. He is praying that the church will be working in unity. And that's part of the reason why I wanted us all to pray this morning together. And I wanted our people watching on the live stream to join us, even though they can't be physically here. But we could actually work together in unity and be praying together and be a church that is unified under Jesus. In John 13, 35, Jesus says, For you will love... For your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for one another. I think that includes people in the world. We are called to love the world. But I don't think that is what is going to prove that we are his disciples. It's a way. But I think that Jesus is saying that our love for fellow believers is what is going to prove that We are his disciples. In John 17, just before Jesus is arrested and crucified, he prays for his disciples. Can you imagine that? Like, put yourself in Jesus' sandals for a minute. (laughs) He's about to be crucified. He's about to be absolutely tortured. He knows what's going to happen to him. And he does pray, you know, God, if there's another way, Maybe we could do something different here. But if, if this is your will, then let it be done. But he's also praying for his disciples. He's not selfishly praying for himself. He, he wants his disciples to be taken care of. He wants them to be in unity. And so this was, he says, he, he is speaking to God the Father, and he says, I pray that they will be all one, just as you and I are one. So again, imagine that. One of Jesus' final words before he is killed was that the church would live in unity. Now, are we going to have some differences? Yeah, we'll have some differences. Sometimes there will be theological differences that we have. Uh, Sometimes there's going to be music style differences that we have, preaching styles that are different. But his prayer to us was that the global, worldwide church and local church would be in unity. And the, the thing is that we will have this unified love for one another, even with all of our differences, because Jesus is the glue that binds us together. So what does that look like for us here at Signal Church? Because this church here is our responsibility. So what does that look like for us? Our, 
like we talked about in the beginning, are we good friends with one another? Are we good friends to the world? Uh, Are we a fiery and passionate church that loves Jesus and loves being together more than anything else? Is this this morning more important than a soccer game? Sorry. (laughs) Is this morning more important than lacrosse or NASCAR or football or mowing your lawn? (laughs) What is important to you? Is being together and, and being with other Christ followers more important than those other things? Because honestly, those things can wait. And again, I'm speaking from a person that was out of church for a year and a half because I put someone else in God's spot. I idolized someone else. And to be honest, it's disastrous. For us, are, are we going to reach the lost, the, the, the lost and spiritually dead people in our area because we have great programs here, even though they might be on hold for right now, uh, due to the virus, uh, are those going to reach the, the people? Are, is, is this worship team that's amazing? Is that what is going to reach the lost? Uh, what about our fog machine? I love that thing. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Perfect timing. Can I just say something about our, our what we call it the fog machine. It's actually called a hazer. Sorry, tech terms. Some of you are probably thinking, why do we do this? What's with the fog? Well, the reason is, um, and part of the reason why we like to leave the lights kind of low, especially while we're worshiping, as as good as this worship team is, it is not about them. It is about Jesus, and I want there to be a veil between them and and the worship that goes on here Um, because it doesn't matter how good they are. Uh, It is not about them. They're super talented, um, and that's the main reason why we do it. Plus, it's a little bit cool. <laughs> but, but still, our fog machine is not going to save the lost. So while these things are really great things, I think we need to take a moment and step back and revisit Jesus' words. Uh, while Jesus was praying for us. Just remember what he was praying. Remember what Paul prayed for the church in Philippi, because that's what he is praying for us. Because this book, the Bible, it's, it's living and it's active, and the words are just as true today as they were 2,000 years ago when they were first penned. And, and for you now, um, because you can't spell us without you. See what I did there? All right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's so, so bad. Uh, what does that look like for you? Uh, when others think about you, what comes to their minds? Uh, are you remembered with joy by them? Or do your acts of kindness lift people up? Are you remembered by your love for others? Most importantly, do people see Jesus in you? How are you partnering with the work that Jesus is doing in this church. And when I say partnering, that doesn't mean that you have to be up here preaching. That doesn't mean you have to be on the worship team. There are so many ways that we can partner with what God is doing here. Uh, One of those ways is being generous with your time, serving. It's being generous with your resources. Uh, God has blessed us, and 
and it, we have a joy to be able to give back to what the Lord has done and given to us. And, and even going back to serving, uh, your serving this church helps us fill roles that honestly we can't do without you. Everyone that serves here has uh, an incredible purpose. So if you're not serving currently and you've been coming here for a length of time, um, I'd like to encourage you to start serving and let us know uh, where you can get plugged in. Um, and we don't want to just put you in places that where we need warm bodies. Like We want you to be serving in places where God is actually calling you to serve and where you have a passion to serve. Like You're not going to put me upstairs with the kids. I, just, I don't do it. <laughs> you don't want me up there. But I'll, I'll serve in any other way that I feel the passion that I have. Um, and we want that the same for you. We want you to be put in places where God has gifted you and called you to serve. Uh, so let us know where you can help us in, in that way. Are you praying for this church like we did this morning? Are, are you praying on a regular basis for the leadership of this church? Are you praying for this area on the shoreline that needs Jesus so badly? If not, today's a great time to start. Let's, let's do this on a weekly basis. Let's pray for this church. Let's pray for the people in our area. So just take a few minutes and reflect on these things and, and pray silently. And then the worship team is going to lead us in one last song.